One of the tensions, the questions we deal with as Christians, is grace and works. If God saves us because of what Jesus has done, the great swap when we're united to Christ by faith, he takes our sin, we receive his righteousness. One of the questions is, if we get Christ's righteousness, then do believers need to live righteous lives? Another tension is around mission. Has Jesus given his people a job to do? Has he given us a mission? Or does that go against being saved by grace? If he's given believers a mission, what is it? Is it to change the world? Is it to end poverty or war? The way this hits the ground, some churches see church, the gathering of God's people. Some churches like to think of Sunday morning as base camp. The preacher is lieutenant and he gives orders to the soldiers so you can get onto the battlefield of evangelism and service. Other churches, Sunday is a place of solace and peace. We gather to rest and receive grace. It's a refuge not from the mission or the battle, it's a refuge from the struggle and suffering we all face. Other churches, it's about spiritual formation. We gather as God's people to be shaped in the way of Jesus. It's not so much getting your marching orders as being formed to live differently in the world. I wonder which one of these you think our church is most like. Or are we a mix of those three? Or completely different? I wouldn't mind hearing your thoughts about that. Last week's emphasis was on the rest and recharge side of things. Last week we heard how Jesus was tested by the devil. He he doesn't look like that, but yeah, that was the image I used last week. He was tested by the devil and he passed the test. Jesus passed it because we can't. And this means he's able to be our gracious saviour, our compassionate high priest. Uh, today, Jesus' mission kicks off. Today we're going to hear what Jesus does as God's son and what he's also calling us to do. Now, this series in the opening part of Matthew I've called King of Heaven because in these first four chapters, Matthew introduces King Jesus. Now, how have we already seen Jesus is God's promised king? Matthew 1. The genealogy, Jesus is the promised son of David, uh, the promised forever king. He's Emmanuel, God with us, born of a virgin. Uh, chapter 2, he's been recognised as king by uh, king of the Jews by the Magi. And with their visit, we see the kingdoms of the world giving honour and paying tribute to God's great king. But not all kings are happy about Jesus. Herod is threatened by Jesus, and so Jesus leaves his early life homeless as a refugee. It's not what we expect of God's king. At his baptism, Jesus is declared to be the beloved son of the Father, the one who is filled with the Spirit. And last week, Jesus is the faithful king. He withstood the tests. He didn't impatiently take what was rightfully his. He trusted his father's provision. He didn't avoid suffering to take the easy road. Jesus refused the crown without the cross. And now, having been faithful to the test, the kingdom is here. Have a read with me from verse 12. So this is Matthew 4.12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. 
On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, Jesus had grown up in Nazareth, uh, though last we heard he was down south where John was baptising. But as he begins his mission, as he in some way continues what John the Baptist was doing, telling people the kingdom of heaven is near, He doesn't do it where John was. He doesn't do it around Jerusalem, the centre of religious and political power. Now he returns to the north near where he grew up. Jesus starts his mission where in some ways it is hard. Jerusalem was the centre of religious activity. It's probably where you could gather a large crowd who want to see Israel return to greatness. But that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't go for the low-hanging fruit where the religiously and politically motivated people are. He goes to a place of deep darkness, Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, Matthew quotes from Isaiah, the quote highlights Jesus' mission. In its original context, so hundreds of years before in the book of Isaiah, the light is the end of the exile. The hope of God's king once again ruling over God's people who have returned to God's place. And Matthew says, Jesus fulfills the prophecy. What he's saying is, although the Assyrian and Babylonian empires have crumbled, although descendants of Abraham were once again living in the land, the exile hasn't really finished anywhere in Israel, but particularly in the tribal areas of Zebulun and Naphtali, which means the exile hasn't finished at all. God's people might be physically in the land, but their hearts are far from him. They're still living in darkness, spiritual darkness, darkness from the fear of death. And historians back up what we read here. Galilee was a religiously ignorant kind of place, the opposite of a Bible belt. But Jesus comes and shines light in the darkness. When his kingdom comes, light shines in dark places. In a place where people once knew little of God, the truth of God's kingdom is proclaimed. To people who live under the fear of death, something about this coming kingdom of heaven means they don't need to fear. When Jesus proclaims the kingdom is near, it sounds a bit like a battle cry, doesn't it? It sounds like a call to arms. That's how Herod interpreted news of the newborn king. But what does Jesus say this kingdom is about? Well, it's not a kingdom that comes with weapons raised or or flag planted on foreign soil. This kingdom is light shining into darkness, starting from Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where the light first dawns. This light will shine all over the earth. The glory of Jesus will fill the earth as waters cover the sea. And so if the kingdom is near, how should people respond? Look at verse 17. Jesus says, repent. Repent means turn around. It's like those signs you see on the highway. Wrong way, go back. You've got to pay attention to that sign because if you don't, it's not going to end well for anyone. Jesus is saying the same. If you don't turn around, it's not going to end well when the kingdom of God comes. Go back to God. The word partly means to turn away from sin, but mainly it means turn to God, get going in the right direction, which is God. Look to him for grace and forgiveness. And after this overview or summary, we get a picture of repentance. 
Two pairs of brothers drop everything, turn and follow Jesus. So have a read from verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. This is a costly call. When Jesus says, follow me, for these four men, it means leaving family and livelihoods. Are you shocked at how quickly they respond? Would you quit quit your job, leave your home and family just like that? There's no, oh, I'll think about it. There's no, oh, let me pray about it, which is Christianese for no, but I want to look spiritual. Uh, No, these blokes do it instantly. No hesitation, no second guessing. And I don't think the point is these blokes are super spiritual, that their faith is so strong No, we see their ups and downs and downs and ups and downs and downs for the rest of the story. They're not super spiritual. The point isn't their spiritual receptiveness. The point is Jesus' authority. If he says, follow me, it happens. And Jesus doesn't just say, follow. He gives these brothers a job, fish for people. I reckon although we we only read it for Andrew and Simon, surely it's the same for James and John, What does it mean to fish for people? In the Old Testament, there are two places that picture people fishing. In both places, people fishing is about judgment. In Jeremiah, the fishers are the the Babylonians. They're fishing, they're coming to capture Judeans and take them into exile. And Habakkuk 1 is similar. Jesus' invitation to fish for people, I don't think it has the same idea, though... Maybe a little bit. It's not completely the same picture, but it's something like it. On one level, the kingdom of heaven means judgment. That's why Jesus calls people to repent. John the Baptist warns that the one coming after Jesus, he warns them about Jesus because Jesus is going to separate wheat from chaff and the chaff will burn. So fishing for people includes warning. But in the context of Jesus' mission of light shining into darkness... I reckon the fishing expedition is catch and release. Jesus is calling them to a mission to catch fish from a pond full of algae, but not catching them for for death and judgment. No, when they're caught, they're going to be released into a clean, flowing river. That's Jesus' mission. That's what he's calling these four blokes to join. Their job is to urge people to turn to God before it's too late, to come out of darkness into the light. And these blokes have been fishing all their light, all their life, and they're going to keep doing it. Uh, But instead of nets and hooks, they've got the message of the kingdom of heaven, they've got stories of everything they're going to see Jesus say and everything they'll hear him, uh, sorry, everything they'll hear him say and see him do. And that's what Jesus calls them to do, to tell them about the same thing that they've experienced. A question we're going to come back to, does Jesus call us to the same thing? Are Christians today called to be fishers for people? Or was this a specific thing to the apostles? Is it only for ministers or those with the gift of fishing? 
We're going to come back to that question. But before we do, we get a picture of the kingdom and how some people respond. So Jesus starts travelling around Galilee and he takes these four fishes with him and he does amazing things that draw a huge crowd. So verse 23, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralysed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Jesus healing people is what Isaiah says would happen when God's glory returns. When God's people return from exile, Isaiah 35 doesn't use the language of kingdom, but the idea is there. This is what Isaiah 35 says. Then will the eyes of the blind be unopened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. This is the light Jesus shines, light that brings end to suffering, an end to the fear that death brings to all of us. Uh, It's not a magic trick. Jesus isn't doing tricks to try and get noticed. He's doing it because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus' healing is a foretaste of the new creation, the eternal, total kingdom of heaven where there's no suffering, no pain because death is finally destroyed. When the light of Jesus comes, the darkness of suffering goes. And of course this draws a crowd. Who wouldn't want to get healed? Huge crowd following Jesus. Now I don't know what to make of the crowd. They like Jesus and that's good because we love Jesus. The question is, are they using Jesus? As you read Matthew's Gospel, the crowds are fickle. There are those called by Jesus, the 12 apostles, and there's 12 apostles, and there's this committed group around them, the, a bit of a crowd, but then there's the, the crowds. And I wonder whether these crowds are using Jesus. Jesus is useful to them, but he's not beautiful. They like what they get from Jesus, and they follow him, But are they more fans than followers? I don't want to be too hard on the crowd, but it's a good question for us. Uh, Last week, our family watched a movie of the novel Bridge to Terabithia. It's a movie about friendship and courage. Uh, In the movie, one of the main characters' family are regular churchgoers. Uh, The other main character has never been to church, so she's invited to go with them one week. And afterwards they talk about Jesus. It's really interesting. The kids who have been to church all their life, they were insistent, you've got to believe the Bible, otherwise, sorry, and you've got to believe in God, otherwise you'll burn in hell. But the girl who's never been to church, she wasn't sure yet what she believed, but what she'd heard about Jesus, and she just thought it was beautiful. She thought, this is a really good thing. I want to find out more. Now, these are characters in the story. It's a very minor little point of the story, so don't take it too far. But it was interesting. The church-going kids wanted Jesus for what he would give them. They wanted the get-out-of-hell card. But their friend, she wanted Jesus for himself, for his glory and goodness. Now, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. You've got to be careful about this. What makes faith in Jesus true faith isn't how good we are at believing, 
It's not that we're able to trust Jesus with pure motives, because we can't, but the faith of the crowd seems to like Jesus for his benefits. The benefits are healing of suffering gone, but deep abiding faith wants Jesus, loves Jesus, and gets the benefits because we get him. Now I'm sure for some in the crowd, they see the light of Jesus and they repent and they enter the kingdom But I also wonder how many were merely fans and never followers. And that's a question for us too. Are you a follower of Jesus or a fan? If you're not sure, this is a great place to be. Stick with us. For the rest of this term, we're going to keep listening to Jesus. We're going to go to discipleship school with Jesus. We're going to be apprenticed to Jesus. We're going to hear the right way up life in his kingdom. We're going to be digging into the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be challenging. Jesus' words always are. But I believe the way of Jesus is light and life. It's worth sticking around to keep hearing what Jesus has to say. And if you are a follower of Jesus, the question for you is, has Jesus called you to fish for people? Was this mission only for the 12 apostles? Is it only for a select few ministers, elders, those with the gift of fishing? It's interesting to get... It's interesting to consider how many sermons in evangelical and reformed churches urge us to spread the gospel, but we don't often read that in Paul's letters to churches. That's interesting, isn't it? I reckon most of us are feeling a bit anxious about this question. Uh, Many feel guilty when we hear words like evangelism, mission, or gospel sharing. Considering how many sermons are about this and how many training courses we have on speaking about Jesus, you'd think that would be covered in at least some of the New Testament letters. I wonder why why it isn't. But at the same time, there is what's often called the Great Commission. At the end of Matthew's Gospels, uh, Matthew's Gospel, we read Jesus' command his followers to keep doing what he's been doing to keep on mission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If Jesus calls his disciples to make disciples, surely those disciples are also to make disciples. And we see it in Acts. Wherever Christians go, whether sent on mission or spread by persecution, wherever Christians go, the Spirit empowers us to speak about Jesus, to make disciples, to fish for people. I take it, if you are called by Jesus, if you trust in him, I take it he calls us to fish, to make disciples, to tell people about the kingdom. But how do we do it? Talking about evangelism and mission is an easy way to make people feel guilty that we're not doing enough, but guilt rarely makes lasting change. What causes real change is loving Jesus. It's knowing how good Jesus is, being amazed that he would save a sinner like me. Jesus has a mission to shine his light and call people to follow him, and as Jesus' people, we get the privilege of being part of his mission. I don't think berating or guilt trips gets us on mission. The best way to get us on board with Jesus' mission to want to fish for people, to make disciples, is to see how good Jesus is. And I wonder if this is why Paul doesn't berate churches about evangelism in his letters. Instead, he writes and writes about how good Jesus is. 
It's out of the overflow of our hearts that our mouth speaks. It's as we deeply see how good Jesus is, how astounding his salvation is, how glorious the hope of eternity is, that's what gets us speaking about Jesus. But what are you going to say? I think for many of us that's the question, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, I know I'm meant to. I know it's a good thing to talk about. My heart is getting fuller and fuller. My mouth seems to fail, though. Here's something you could try this week. When someone asks... Hey, what have you been up to? Answer with something about church or or growth group. Oh, at church on Sunday, we sang this great song about how Jesus is the only way to know God. Uh, Our church has these groups. They've started for the year. It's been great to be supported and to read the Bible with these people. At church on Sunday, we were thinking about whether we're fans or followers of Jesus. Why don't you give something like that a try? See where the conversation goes. Another thing that drives us to speak about Jesus is knowing the reality that there are people who don't know Jesus. And if they don't turn to Christ, they will face God's judgment. There are about 22,000 people who live in Gympie. There's over 46,000 in our region. How many of them do you reckon trust in Jesus? Not tick the box on the census, though even on that measure, our neighbours are less Christian than the average Aussie. How many in our region are part of gospel-centred, Bible-teaching churches? A thousand? Two thousand? Even if it's two thousand, two thousand divided by 46,000 gives a very, very small percentage. There's tens of thousands of people out there who don't know Jesus who are facing the judgment of God and missing out on the goodness of Jesus. And Jesus has called us to be part of his mission, to shine light into the darkness. I take it Jesus wants us to be a church whose hearts are filled with his glorious gospel and who take God's judgment seriously and from these truths we live and speak for Jesus. So let's pray Pray God does this, does that work in us, that God would fill our hearts, open our mouths, make us bold to speak, and that he'd be pleased to be calling many people in our region to follow Jesus, their king. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for Jesus and his mission, his mission to shine light in the darkness, his mission to rescue and restore so all who trust in him can enjoy not just temporary relief from suffering, but eternity with you in the new heavens and earth. Please fill our hearts with this truth, with the glory of Jesus, that we might get on board with his mission. We pray for boldness to speak about the hope we have in Jesus, to invite people to church and and other places where they'll hear about Christ, to share videos on Facebook, to, to lend a book. There are so many ways we can share the hope of Jesus. And Lord God, we think of our region and the tens of thousands without hope and without God. Please pour out your mercy, be saving many, and use us in this mission. Amen.